0: Amen. Don't you love our God? He's so good, so great, so worthy of all of our praise. Well, tonight I wanna I want us to continue kind of off of what we started Sunday. You know, I, I just alluded to this is the Holy Week, Passion Week, the week preceding Easter, where Jesus was in Jerusalem preparing to go and be the sacrifice for all the sin of mankind. And so there, there are some things that occurred on each day throughout this week, and I'm not going to talk about every single one of the days of this week and, and historically what we see in the Word as we're going to go to Mark's account tonight and we're going to look at the Wednesday, uh, the day that would you know be a parallel to today and this week uh, and what occurred in Jesus' uh, life during that period, what He was doing on this day preceding Easter about 2,000 years ago. And so, as I mentioned, you know, this last Sunday we had our Palm Sunday service. And one of the things we said is that was like the opening ceremony for everything Jesus had come to Jerusalem to do. All, all, of, all of the victory he was about to go and obtain. What he was coming to Jerusalem to do, to, to, uh, to finish the work that had been begun. It was like the opening ceremony of this great time where he would go and conquer. And so tonight I want us to look at one of the things uh, that occurred during this time. I'll kind of bring us up to speed here on Monday. So Palm Sunday happened, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, opening ceremony for everything that was going to occur. Then on Monday, if we go to the Word, and and if you want to go ahead and open up to Mark 14, we're going to begin reading out of there here in just a minute. But Mark 14, it's a, a timeline of all the things that occurred in this week. Monday is when he went into the temple he flipped over the tables he drove out the money changers and those that were selling goods in a corrupt way you know it wasn't just about the fact that people were selling or that people were changing out money it was that greed had overtaken the temple that that a place that was supposed to be made uh, for prayer and a place where all nations could come and pray to God it had been overtaken by greed and corruption and so he was driving that out of the temple both physically driving that evil out but also showing us a spiritual representation of Of how he would later By dying on the cross And resurrecting on the third day Drive out and purge all of the new creations That come to know him Of sin and corruption and greed and evil He purges it out of us He drives it all out Because we've been made new creations in Christ Tuesday The next day he came back to Jerusalem And what we see there Is he he calls out the religious leaders He calls them wicked Whitewashed tombs A bunch of names He calls them snakes Snakes He calls them out for the hypocrisy and wicked things that they had been doing. And then he goes on to prophesy about the destruction of the temple. And he talks about how tribulation was going to come on the nation of Israel. These were things that I'm just going to tell you, the religious people did not like hearing. They hated everything that Jesus was doing because he was rocking the boat of their hypocritical religion in that day. And he was desiring and enforcing a higher standard, the God standard that he wanted in relationship with us. wasn't satisfied with this face value hypocritical kind of religion that was going on in the day and Jesus was coming to Jerusalem uh, uh, and already he was called the champion he was coming in already called the champion already called the victor already called the high priest as we studied on Sunday uh, and signifying with the palm branches and the clothes and the donkey he comes in this victorious king high priest and he begins driving out all the people that thought that one day they were going to be the ones that got patted on the back and got given the good gifts by God because they were the most religious the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees they thought that they were in in a position of religious prominence because of the face value but what Jesus is about is not about the hypocritical face value he is about your heart and we're going to see that tonight as we get into the word that Jesus cares about what's in your heart, and he cares about true, genuine love of God. And so let's get into the word tonight. We're going to look at two things that happened on the Wednesday. Some people call it Holy Wednesday. Other people call this week Passion Week. We could just say it's the week before Easter, the Wednesday on this week before Easter. There were two things that we see in the Gospel of Mark that are very significant, and I want us to look at those, look at look at what they mean, the symbolism that's shown here, what it means. Means for us today and at the very end I want us to continue on with the theme of our Wednesday nights in praying in discussing so if you've got people there with you in your home or wherever you're at I invite you pray with us at the end even after we close the stream out I would ask you stick around for a few minutes and continue praying have a discussion about these things we're talking about and, and I believe that that'll bless you it'll help build each other up especially you know our, our normal Wednesdays when we're meeting here at the church you know it's, it's really a, an apologetic lesson and there's a little bit of apologetics in this lesson tonight as well, and it's really themed after discussion and application and seeing how the Word fits into our life, and so I want to keep that thread going as we do online church during this season, and so I invite you to have discussion and prayer through this as well. There are two things, very significant things that we see in Mark 14 regarding the Wednesday of Passover week when Jesus came to to Jerusalem preparing to go to the cross. The two things we're going to look at tonight are the anointing that was an act of love and the scheme that was an act of sin. I'll tell you those again. Number one, we're going to look at the anointing that was an act of love. And number two, we're going to look at the scheme that was an act of sin. And so we're going to begin with the anointing, the act of love. And here in just a second, we're going to read Mark 14, verses 1 through 9. So I invite you to turn there. Actually, I'll read 1 through 2 now, and then I'll talk a little bit before we begin reading on the anointing part. Mark 14, 1 says this, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast. Let there be an uproar of people." And so, as I mentioned before, the first couple days, Jerusalem—the first couple days—Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was rocking the boat. Let me tell you this: if you've been living a life of, of kind of face value, hypocritical living for Jesus, he's going to rock your boat when he starts showing up because he's not satisfied with with making yourself look holy on the outside if you're not truly pure on the inside. I'm telling you, he's more concerned with the heart than the outward appearance. And we we see that with the chief priests, with these religious people. They hated what Jesus was doing because he was bringing a religion foreign to them, a religion that was coming from the Father's heart, not from maybe their their mental understanding or the laws and traditions of man. He was bringing the heart and the Word of God to life in Jerusalem. And they didn't like it because it was shaking up the status quo. And it says right here, uh, they sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. You know, here a little bit later, we're going to talk about the scheme of uh, that was an act of sin. Well, right here in the very first couple cha- uh, verses of this chapter, we see that these religious leaders, these chief priests and scribes, they are scheming against Jesus. And so there's this scheme. They're wanting to find a way to get rid of him. They don't like that he's being celebrated as a king and high priest, that he was bringing in a, a true God kind of religion and taking away some of the things that they had held on to. And so uh, what we're going to look at now in verse 3... We're going to see that he was in Bethany, and there was an anointing that happened um, where, where a woman came and made a sacrificial offering to Jesus, anointed him with this very expensive oil. And I wanted to kind of do a little bit of apologetics tonight as well, like I mentioned. And so, you know, there, there is a little bit of confusion about the anointing that happened to Jesus during Passover week. And what I will offer to you tonight, what I'm going to say, and what I see as I study Scripture, is there was not one, but two anointings that happened in this week of Passover. Okay, the first one actually occurred the night before Jesus came in, into Jerusalem in his triumphant entry. Before Palm Sunday, there was an anointing by Mary. And then what we're going to read tonight is the second anointing that happened on the Wednesday leading up to um, Jesus' uh, arrest and, and beating and uh, crucifixion. Because that happened on Thursday. So like if we were paralleling this week with Passover week and Passion week, well, tomorrow would be when Jesus had uh, his last supper with the disciples and then went to the garden to pray, was arrested was taken um, into, into a court. That all happened on Thursday. And so Wednesday, what we see in this, that, that would be considered Passover, is Friday. And so what we read in verse 1 here is it says, two days it was the Passover. It was going to be two days before the Passover. Well, that would put us at Wednesday. And the other account of anointing with oil is actually in John 12. We're not going to go there tonight. I encourage you, study this out for yourself if you like. But in John 12, it says it was six days before Passover, which would have been Saturday night. And so right here, just, just the day count, either these guys didn't know what they were talking about and the word isn't right, or there were two anointings. And I believe that the word is unfallible. I believe it is completely the truth. And so just by a simple study of the days, we see that he was anointed once the day before Palm Sunday, and he was anointed again the Wednesday night leading up to his Thursday a uh, last supper and a rest and all of those things. So there were two anointings, or what I see here, two times where he was anointed with spikenard in different ways. I'm going to give you some of the other uh, contrasts that we see from these two accounts. I studied through them today. Again, if you'd like to, it's John 12 is where you'll find the other one. And then we're going to read about this one in Mark 14 here in just a second. Here's a list of some of the differences between these two anointings. And you're going to see them um, as we read Mark 14. Number one, in John 12, it was an anointing where this this spikenard, this oil, was used to anoint his feet. And it said there in John 12 that uh, the, the woman, which we'll see here in a second, was Mary. She wiped his feet with her hair. And so that was, that was one thing. Well, with the Mark 14 anointing account, um, it doesn't say anything about his feet. It doesn't say anything about hair. It, in fact, it says it was poured on his head. Now, I, you know, I'm, I'm no uh, doctor or, or expert on anatomy, but the head and the feet look like opposite ends of the body to me. And so once again here, six days versus two days, head versus feet. I don't read anything about hair when we read here in Mark 14. And so here's a, again another difference. Um, another one here is that the house in which they were residing, it was in Bethany, but you know there were, there were more than one house in Bethany. Um, it says Mary and Martha's house in John 12 and over here in, in uh, Mark 14 what we're going to read is it was at uh, Simon the leper's house. Another difference here in, in whose house they were at. In the John 12 account it says a pound of Spike Nard was used to anoint his feet. Um, in the second account or what would be the second account in Mark 14, um, it says that this woman broke the alabaster jar open and used it all And so there's a difference, again, in a pound versus just everything and breaking the jar it was in. Um, uh, Another difference we'll see here is that um, in the John 12 account, it said that that amount would have been worth about 300 denarii. In the Mark 14 account, it says it's worth more than 300 denarii, a difference once again. Uh, Head versus feet, like I said. um, The days of Passover. One other thing we're going to see, and this kind of leads into uh, the... The sin of scheming that we're going to talk about tonight is in the John 12 account. There was only one disciple that questioned the decision to use this oil. It says that Judas Iscariot was the one who, who just couldn't understand and he asked why would, why would this be okay? Why would you allow this Mary to sacrifice this to you when we could use it for these other things? And in the Mark 14 account it says uh, some, some amount of them, a number of them questioned this act. They were indignant about this act. And so we see these differences and, and I'm just giving you some insight that there are people who think this is just the same and maybe somebody got it wrong. I believe that there were two separate anointings that happened on this week of Passover. Um, you know what we're going to see tonight uh, and, and the way I've I guess placed both of these is the John 12 um, the John 12 which would have been the day before psalm I'm sorry Palm Sunday. I believe that that anointing was anointing Jesus for this triumphant entry in. You know, he was, he was being presented as the sacrifice. That's kind of, you know, as we look at the Word, and even as we, we look back on Sunday's message, he was being presented as the sacrificial lamb that would be sacrificed for all of our sins. He was being presented to the people. When the sacrifices were presented, they would prepare them to go and be shown uh, amongst the people. And then I believe that the second account in Mark 14, what we're going to see is that it wasn't just preparing him to go and be presented to the people. This was a preparation for burial, and we're going to read that. Let's go to Mark 14, one, uh, well, well, we'll start in 3, because we already read 1 through 2. Let's read about this anointing that happened in Bethany. It says, in being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, A woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves, see not one, some indignant among themselves, and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish you may do them good. But me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And see here again, this anointing. Whether whether this woman realized it, I don't. I don't think she did. But in the moment when she was anointing him with this oil and breaking open this alabaster flask, what she was really doing was preparing Jesus' body for burial because this was the tradition at the time. What they would do is they would anoint a body with, with a fragrant oil before they buried it. And part of what they would do many times is they would break the flask in which the oil was held and scatter the pieces to be barrel, buried with that individual. And so there is significance in the fact that she broke the flask because without realizing that, I believe, she was saying, He is going to be buried. He is going to to die. And and whether she realized it in that moment or not, he was going to go and die for all of our sins. And so there is symbolism. There is a statement. Even as there were palm branches enclosed in a donkey stating who Jesus was on Palm Sunday, here again we see a statement. This is the sacrifice. This is the one who will be put to death and buried for our sins. He is the propitiation, the payment, the provision for our sin. Then in verse 9 it says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever this gospel is preached, wherever it's preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And so as I mentioned a moment ago, this was symbolic, that Christ was being prepared to go and be buried, to to be the sacrifice that would pay for the world's sin. You know, another thing that I noticed right away when I read through this is he, he said, it's a good work that she does for me. This is a good work. As they're criticizing this woman and say, why are you wasting this oil? Why, why are you just dumping this? I mean, you know, it was customary to pour a little bit of oil on somebody's head when they came into a house. If, they, if you were there for dinner, I mean, you might get a little bit of oil poured on your head. But to break this expensive flask open and pour out this expensive oil all over, I mean, it, it was wasteful. And they said, why would you do something like this? Why would you, why would you waste? Why would you waste that? Was the question. And Jesus said, hey, you guys need to calm down because she's not wasting this. This isn't a waste. This, this is worship. And I think sometimes one of the things I saw tonight, people get indignant and say, why are you wasting that? But we know, and I believe Christ is the one who recognizes it's not waste, it's worship. And, you know, I, I sometimes think, I want to be faced with this question of why was this wasted? Because I believe what we see here is that she was, she was doing in something in worship that no one else understood. She was giving up something expensive and valuable in worship. Something that had taken her a long time to obtain it. Because when we go to the other example where a pound of this was used and it was 300 denarii, it was about a year's salary. I worked a whole year. This is what I've got for it. I'm going to give it all to Jesus right now. Most people would say, why are you wasting that? Anybody in the world is going to say, why are you wasting that? And I think it's funny here. Even the disciples, these guys who had walked with Jesus for these three years, seeing him do miraculous things, they're saying, why are you wasting that? You know, I would think if there was anybody on earth at this time that would understand why she was doing this, it would have been these guys. And, and honestly, I think sometimes we can encounter that even where people just don't understand. Why are you wasting that? Well, it's not a waste when it's worship. When she's pouring out of, of what she has, when she's giving what is most precious and valuable to her, to the one who is truly the most valuable to her, it's not waste. It's worship. It's worship. And so I am so encouraged by this tonight that when sometimes I face this question, why is this being wasted? Well, when you're worshiping Jesus, it's never a waste. When you're worshiping Jesus, giving is never a waste in any way. You know, one of the other things about the way she broke this flask open, one of the other things I found in studying this out is that in breaking it open, she was able to get more of this fragrant oil out of this canister than if she had just poured it and emptied it out. You know, it's like if she had just turned it upside down and let it drain till it was empty, well, that inside would have still been coated with this fragrant, valuable oil. And I believe what's, what's so amazing here is she wanted to give Jesus everything she had. So she broke open this flask. And alabaster flasks wouldn't have been cheap either. I mean, this is, a, this is more of a precious stone. It's, a, it's kind of a difficult one to work with and to clean. And she just busted it open. And, and I believe she pulled out every last drop of that fragrant oil. Saying, Jesus... You are of the highest value to me. You are more important to me, Lord, than any of, of this that I've obtained. Any of this spikenard, this valuable thing that I've worked for and obtained. You, Lord, are more important and more precious than it all. And so I give you all I have in worship. And you know what? People got upset about it. People don't, some people don't like it when you worship in such a, such a full way. And I, I know that the world doesn't understand it. I, and, and I understand that sometimes, you know, we see the disciples here. They didn't understand it. But I believe that we are to give Jesus our very best and hold nothing back from him um, when we have an opportunity to worship. And I'm just encouraged by, by this, knowing that it's not waste to worship. I want to read another scripture, Romans 12, verse 1. You know, we're, kind of make, we're going to make this comparison tonight. You know, she poured out all of this oil that she had. And for us, you know, that could, that could represent something else. I, I think when I, when I put this into context for my life, what I see is myself living a life of pouring out, of, of breaking open the things that have held what's precious to me, and pouring out, pulling out every drop of it and saying, Jesus, you get it all. Now that might not mean that that I bring everything I've got in and I give it all in one day, but it does mean that I do not restrict Jesus from having access to anything in my life. This worship, this love, this anointing that happened, I believe is symbolic of how we need to break open those parts that are hard and holding what's valuable to us and say, Christ, you can have it all. There's no part of me that I want to hold back from you. I want you to have everything uh, that I can give you. You know, I, I, I see this comparison as well. Christ gave everything he had. This, this week, uh, you know, tomorrow night, Friday, when he was crucified, he gave everything that he had. He gave up his body. He gave up his soul. And, and, and you know, he was put to death. He was, for a time, spiritually separated unto death because of the sin he had taken on himself. Praise God he had the power to resurrect and rise from the dead, both spiritually and physically. But for a time at least, he gave up everything he had. And and even prior to coming to earth, I think, my goodness, he gave up everything he had. He came as a man. Why would he want to do that? You know, it doesn't make sense outside of love. He loved us so much he gave up everything he had. And I believe when we come to know him, when we come to truly love him with all our hearts, just like this woman, I believe we're going to want to give him everything that we have. Romans 12, 1, where I I wanted us to go next, it reads this way. It says, beseech you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and she, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I love the way that Paul writes this to the Romans. He says, I, I, I ask you guys, give your life to God. you like, it's the least you can do. That's basically what he's saying here. He says, it's your reasonable service. After everything Jesus has done for you, like the least you can do is give him your life here. And so I desire to do that. I believe you desire to do that as well, to live a, a, a life of anointing God, giving to God, sacrificing in love to bless God because He is so good. And I believe that whether this woman recognized it or not at the time, that's exactly what she was doing. She recognized that this is the Messiah and whether she knew He was about to go and be buried, she was giving Him everything she had as an act of sacrificial worship. You know, this, this, this picture, this this historical story this because this really happened it reminds me of a movie facing the giants and there's a moment in that movie where uh this big guy he's he's having to do the death crawl all the way across this football field and his coach blindfolds him and he says you just you're gonna have to go and and you're gonna have to just go and give me everything you got you can't stop until i say stop he puts a guy on his shoulders on his back and this guy starts crawling and he starts feeling the burn just a little ways in. The coach says, you got to keep going, keep going. You got more, give me more. And he keeps crawling. Well, long story short, he, I mean, it's like a three or four minute scene. He crawls all the way down this football field, gets, gets to the very end of it. He's blindfolded. He has no idea where he's at. The coach is just screaming, saying, give me more, give me what you've got. And at the very end, the guy finally gives out, falls over. The the coach says, hey, take your blindfold off. He takes it off, looks down, and he says, you're in the end zone. You've made it all the way across this field. You thought you weren't going to go 40 yards, and here you are, 100 yards, a full field distance. You know, I think sometimes we have more to give God than we believe that we do. Whether that's in abilities, whether, whether that's just in the way we worship, whether it is physical giving in some way, I believe God wants more and I believe he deserves more and so I want for my life and I want for all of your lives to take this approach and I believe praise God a lot of us are conscious of this and doing it we want to take the approach that Jesus I'll give you everything I've got and you know he's probably he's not going to yell at us like that football coach he's not going to be saying come on give me more but he is going to say you've got more in you You know, it might not be a screaming in your face kind of approach, but he's going to let you know that there is more to give. And I believe that we have more to give. You know, he he fills us up so that we can be poured out. I want my life to constantly be a time of pouring out what I have for his kingdom. And I believe that we can do that. And it uh, it, it will honor him just the way that Jesus was honored here. You know what? Actually, it also it kind of made me think of a song today. It, it's it's an older one. It's a Hillsong song um, called "Lord, I Give You My Heart." Does anybody remember that? the The words I wrote them down. It's "This is my desire to honor You, Lord, with all my heart. I worship You. All I have within me, I give You praise. All that I adore is in You." I believe that's that's our approach. That's our stance. Of love for God. You know, the way we said this is this anointing was an act of love. And I believe our life as, as believers, you know, children of God and, and followers of Christ, it ought to be this approach of, Lord, you've got, you've got all of me. And so this is, this is the love that is sacrificial that in this case anointed Christ. But I believe in our life for today, it, it blesses God. When we live honorably to him. The next thing I see with, with this woman's sacrifice. The sacrificial giving is this. She encountered criticism. And I just want to give you the warning. You know when you sacrificially give to God. You might get criticism for it. Just like this woman. People didn't understand. The disciples. These very disciples. They didn't understand. Why would you give that up? It doesn't make any sense. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.18 is a scripture I thought of. Uh, it came to mind while I was studying this. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, these things that don't make any sense to the world, well, it's the power of God. When we'll do things that, that maybe in the mindset of people that don't know Jesus, it makes no sense. The things that they're going to criticize for and say, why would you do that? Why would you waste that? Well, when people are saying that and I know that I'm living sacrificially for Jesus, hey, I've got a good promise here in 1 Corinthians that it is the power of God in action today. My sacrificial giving that makes no sense to anybody else is the power of God for today. Hallelujah. You know, it's good to be giving sacrificially. It is uh, one of the ways we, I believe, express our love for God. And here's the other thing that, that I see... In this, um, you know, I want to talk about love and sacrifice. John, uh, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 13. If we read that real quick, John 15, verse 13. It reads this way. says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then I'm going to go and read in Romans 5, verse 8. I know these aren't going to be on your screen, but... Um, Romans 5.8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, what I see there is this, love and sacrifice are really closely related. And I know that anybody who's like a parent or, or who has somebody, maybe, maybe you're married, you know that love is sacrificial. You know, I'm not a parent and I'm not married and so I don't love in this way. But like I can look in my own life and see the people that love me, man, they sacrificed for me. And maybe I don't, you know, I don't have a family where I'm doing that for them every day, but there are people in my life that I love, and it's sacrificial. You know, because of my love for them, I want to give to them. And how much greater than that should it be for Christ? This is our reasonable service. It's like it's like Paul wrote: this is the least we can do, is to give him all that all that fragrant oil. Break open that alabaster flask in our life and give Him everything we've got. You know, the the other thing I wanted to say is is Proverbs 21.2. I'll give you a second to turn there. Christ, just like He did with this woman, Christ will justify you. You know, I, I don't believe that we have to give the justification for every sacrificial and loving action that we do. When we're worshiping God... We don't have to justify that to people, but it is a great opportunity to testify to people how good God is, how worthy He is, and, and how powerful it is to give, whether it be you know financially, physically, uh, spiritually, in praise, in any way that, that we can find to give. Proverbs 21.2 says this, Every man, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. The Lord looks at our heart. He knows what's in our heart. And so when we're doing something that makes no sense to people in the world, it is pleasing to God. It is powerful for God because we are sacrificially expressing our love. And I believe love and sacrifice, you know, if we just take a look at these two scriptures, John 15, 13 and Romans 5, 8, we see that that love and sacrifice are giving, they're linked together. And so this anointing, this gift of this woman was an action of love. And then the second thing I wanted us to look at tonight, we'll do this briefly, was the scheme, the act of sin. You know, this, this of course is where Judas betrays Jesus. We're going to go to Mark 14 again, and we'll read verses 10 and 11 for this part. I think it's so interesting that what we see is, is this greatest moment of, of greed, this greatest moment of sin comes right after the greatest moment of giving. And, and how, how the devil works that after a moment so moving, so powerful, that this woman would break open an alabaster flask and pull out every piece of this fragrant oil and, and anoint Jesus with it. Give him everything valuable out of this flask. And then the very next moment, Judas just can't handle it anymore. And he goes and, and commits this act of sin, scheming against Christ. And I believe this: acts of worship like this. I believe they drive people to God, or they drive people away from God, because they they make people choose. When you're worshiping the person near you, they have to choose. It's just the truth. Because now I'm faced with the decision that I'm in and I'm with you and I'm giving, or I'm out. <sighs> Praise the Lord. It's a moment of choice. And here we see Judas choose. He's faced with this great act of worship. And he has to choose am, am I going to be in or am I out? Am I going to join in worship or am I not? You know, like I, I, I even think about times in my past where, where I was more self conscious about worshiping with people, like being at church and, and thinking to myself, you know, oh, do I, do I need to raise my hands or should I be doing this? How loud is an appropriate like volume to sing? You know, I think some of these things. But then it's like you got the person near you who they are just like all about it. Well, two things are going to happen. Either you're going to be really uncomfortable. Or you're going to back off and like put your hands in your pockets or you're going to go in deeper. Because in moments of worship, we're faced with a choice. Are we going in or are we going out? And so I believe that what we see here is Judas was faced with this decision. Am I in or am I out? And in Mark 14, we see him choose. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. You know, where, where I want to talk tonight as we, we get ready to kind of wrap this up is about the scheme and how this is a scheme of the devil. You know, we know out of Ephesians 6 that we don't war against flesh and blood. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities and evil spirits. It's a spiritual battle. And Judas, while he might have been the person or that the, we could say the instrument that was used to accomplish this scheme, well, Jesus wasn't fighting Judas. It was the enemy who was devising this plan and this scheme against Christ. Now, praise God, God works it together for good. And, and this was the, the worst thing for the devil that he could have done because it allowed Christ to resurrect and, and clear our sins from the record. Raise us up to life with them, You know, in Luke, it says, uh, it's in Luke, ver- in chapter 22 of Luke, the phrasing goes like this when it's talking about Judas betraying Jesus. It says that Satan entered Judas. I want to look at Ephesians 26, 27 to kind of break that phrase down. You know, that Judas was driven uh, by Satan to go and betray Christ. You know, he was faced with this moment. And and what I want to say tonight is that, you know, the the word, it says here, Satan entered Judas. Well, it's not like Satan just came in and possessed him and forced him to go and do this thing. That's not what it means. Judas had a choice. He had a decision. He had his own free will that he faced. And, And rather going in, anointing and loving God. He chose to pull back and scheme into sin. Ephesians uh, 4.26 says this. Don't don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. What I see in this is that choosing to to stay in a pattern of sin, it it gives the devil a a place to begin operating in your life. It gives him a place to speak, to tempt, to try to drive you along with his scheme. Let me just tell you, I want no part of that. I'm one of those that I want to resist the enemy and he will flee away from me. I want nothing to do with him. And I believe that, you know, Judas, the problem we see here is it's that greed. You know, he was, he was greedy. And it was this sin of, of greed and anger. Honestly, it says that he was just indignant. Some of these disciples were indignant. Well, one of the other things I found interesting about this as I was studying is if there were two anointings and Judas had something to say at both of them. Well, I think that first one, you know, it says he was the only one that spoke up, that he was the one that was questioning and wondering about it. Well, at the second one, more of them spoke up. But I think this was just like Judas was he was just tired of it. He was greedy, and, and you know, the reason that he really wanted to sell this spikenard was so that he could profit off of it, because he held the money bag, and he had been embezzling money from Christ. Okay, and so it was greed for his own personal gain that was driving him, and because of that, that greed, that sin, he played right into the enemy's scheme. You know, sin, anger, greed in this case, it gives the enemy a foothold. To begin, you know, speaking and, and, and working and tempting and trying to, trying to get you to do things in life. <clears throat> and so we want, obviously, to stay away from this. We, we want to let Jesus, you know, we talked earlier about how, how he drove out corruption and greed and sin from that temple. We want to allow him to do that in our life. Um, of course, you know, we, we know that the arrest, the crucifixion, the scheme, it was all a scheme of the enemy. And at the end of the day, it would be overcome because Christ, as he had already been confessed, is the victor. He is the conqueror. He is already overcome. He, he had already, you know, won the victory and been confessed as the winner. And so he went and, and he destroyed the devil, beat the scheme of the enemy. And it's his uh, innocent blood being sacrificed, of course, that allows us to be made righteous and redeemed. Um, you know, this scheme of the enemy, and this is kind of where I, I want us to be, be ending tonight. This scheme of the enemy, to get Christ crucified, to kill him, you know, this scheme, it ultimately led to the fulfillment of prophecy to the redemptive power of Jesus' blood working in people's lives on Earth, it, it led to the Holy Spirit being sent to believers, and it led to the gospel of Christ being proclaimed all over the world. And the reason I'm bringing this scheme up and, and talking about how, you know the devil, he had a scheme, he had a plan, he had something bad he wanted to do, but the end result in, in, in Christ was glorious. It was redemption, it was the Holy Spirit, it it was the gospel being preached all over the world, it was fulfillment of prophecy. The devil's scheme ended with a glorious result because God was in the middle of it. And you know, we are in the middle right now, I believe, of one of the enemy's schemes. You know, all, all of the this, this stuff that's going on with coronavirus, this weird season that we're living in right now, I believe it, it is a plan from the enemy to disrupt the progression of the gospel. I believe it is to, to damage people's lives, to shake people's faith. And I want to encourage you with this tonight. The devil's schemes are glorified in Christ. What he meant to be the worst thing turned out to be the best thing because Jesus... Works all things together for good. And that is no less true today than it was true on the cross. Philippians 4: six and seven. this is how I want us to wrap up and lead into our discussion tonight. It says this, "Be anxious for nothing but in everything. by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Christ takes the enemy's schemes. And he turns them into something glorious. You know, anxiety, worry, fear, concern. What it, what it really is, is it's an inhibition to live like the word is true. You know, I, I just mentioned these because I see them as part of the enemy's scheme for today. He wants people fearful. He wants people worried. He wants people concerned and stressed out and anxious about what's going to happen in life. But let me tell you something. You can't live that way and also be living out the Word. You can't live full of fear and worry and also be living like the Bible is true. Because this says we do not need anxiety. Because... Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, we let our requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which passes any kind of earthly understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. You know, it's it's the same thing as like with this alabaster flask. There was an opportunity for people to scoff and say, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you worship like that why would you give like that why 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 are you why are you not scared right now why why are you not fearful right now why are you optimistic right now do you see what's going on around you well I do but I have the peace of God that guards my heart and mind against anything that the enemy would throw at me so I believe this all of these things that are schemes of the enemy They try to take the place of what Christ has provided. But if we will, pray. And allow God to be involved. If we will ask with prayers, thanksgiving, supplication, letting our requests be made known, I believe we will receive all that Christ has already purchased for us. We will not be shackled down, chained, and imprisoned to the things that the enemy had schemed for us to have. Instead of anxiety, we will have peace. Instead of worry, we will have security. Instead of concern, we will have confidence. And instead of fear, we will have faith. Amen. In Christ, the enemy's schemes fall apart and turn into a glorious result. I want to finish with this scripture tonight, and then I'm, I'm going to encourage the worship team to come up and play for just a couple of minutes. Matthew 7, 7-11 reads like this. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let me tell you, we have a good, a great Father in heaven who knows how to give us what we need. You know, this scripture, it reads, you know how to give good gifts to your children, You know, the more I thought about that today, what I see is this. God doesn't just give us gifts that are are pleasing to our desires, that that are kind of pleasing to our soul. He gives us the things that we need for life. You know, he makes the, the comparison here. He says, if a man among you, his son, asks him for bread, who's going to give him a stone? Well, bread is signifying life. And I believe as we ask Christ, For life. As we ask God for life through Christ, we receive it because of Philippians 4 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If it's a physical need, ask. Thank Him for it. It's yours in Christ because He is the supplier and the provider. If, If it's a soulful thing, ask. That peace will come. Peace that is beyond the understanding of the world. It's available to you in Christ today. And I want to say this too. I believe it's important as I've been saying kind of through this time, you know, we're apart physically, but we're not apart spiritually. We are together. We are connected. We are a family church. And so if you have any prayer needs, please contact us. Send us a message. Send us an email. Call us. We want to be praying in agreement with you. Let us know what's going on. And we are going to be uh, praying prayers of intercession, supplication. Thanks to God for what he's already provided. I pray that you would have the peace to guard your heart and your mind in a greater way than any understanding of man ever could. And then tonight, uh, as we wrap this up, I want to encourage you again, just take a few minutes with those who are around you and do this. Talk about, you know, are there any things that you are worried about in this season? Are there any things that that you need God to supply for you during the season? How can those people that are with you agree? You know, if you've got kids with you, I just think this is a great time to talk to them. You know, what, what's going on on the inside? How are you doing? What can we pray about that God will give you? I think that's a great tool. It's a way to put the word into action, to apply it in life. And man, let me tell you, as a kid who grew up with parents who prayed with them, it is it is one of the most solidifying things that there is to have parents come in and say, hey, you know what? We're going to pray because God is real. The word is true. And we're going to receive What we have need of. He is going to give us peace. He is going to provide when we ask. So I encourage you to pray tonight. And then the other thing I I think would be a great discussion point. If you want to talk about this when we wrap up. Is what are some ways that I worship Jesus that people in the world don't understand. I think this would be an awesome point of discussion too. What are some of the ways that we worship that don't make sense to anybody who doesn't know Jesus, but to us, it's just one of those ways that we're expressing our love and saying, Christ, you are great and you're worthy. We love you. Well, tonight I want to wrap up with prayer. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and we'll close out the service this way. Let's pray for a few minutes and then we'll dismiss you to to wrap up on your own. Father God, we thank you tonight for the word. We thank you that Jesus came nearly 2,000 years ago. And this week he marched into Jerusalem while well, he rode in on a donkey with palm branches and clothes waving. He went into the temple and drove out all of the corruption and greed and evil that was present there. He, he called out the hypocrisy that was present in the religious people, the leaders of that time, Lord. He made pure what had been defiled. And then here we see this example of what love looks like conquering over a scheme. Lord we know that there is a decision present and tonight I I pray that all those listening would be moved if they haven't before to make the decision for Christ. To say Christ I love you, I worship you, I want to give you my whole life every piece of me I break open those areas that are hard and make it all available for you Lord. You're worthy of it all I want you to have all of me I give you my life today. If that's you and you want to pray that, I'm going to just pray this simple prayer. I invite you to repeat these words after me. Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that I've sinned and fallen short. And today, I'm ready to give you all of me. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Fill my heart. Make me a new creature. I want to please you and live for you. Amen. Well, hallelujah, if you prayed that, then we believe that you've received Jesus in your heart. You've been made a new creature. And you can live for Him today. You can pour your life out as an offering, a sacrifice of love and worship to Jesus Christ. Today, I I also... I want to finish with praying this a prayer against the scheme of the enemy thanking God for the supply that's already been given thanking Him for the victory that's been obtained in Christ and receiving it in our lives as believers today Lord, I thank You that You have overcome the devil there is nothing he can do that You cannot undo or overcome God, no scheme of the enemy cannot be overcome by the power of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that what the devil schemed for the worst can be turned for the best. What he meant for destruction can be made into something that is glorious. God, I pray even in this time, this season, that it is a scheme for death and destruction and hindering the gospel from going out from the enemy. Lord, I thank you that it is something you are turning into a glorious time. A glorious awakening of the power of God, of the faith and hope that is found in Christ. That so many people would come to know you and believe on you during this time. That the gospel would go further and further during this time. That believers would become bolder and bolder in their belief, in their testimony, in their faith, in the sharing of the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this would be something that has a glorious result. I thank you that the devil cannot win because the victor is Christ. Hallelujah. The victor is Christ. He's already won. He's already overcome. And nothing can change what was done on Calvary hallelujah lord i thank you that today we have peace peace that guards the heart and mind it goes beyond the understanding of the world and there is nothing that can be done that will take it away because lord we have faith in you we have hope in you we have confidence and trust in the name of jesus lord today any any need that we may have God, a need for life, a physical need, a soul need, a spiritual need, you have supplied and provided for it and so today Lord we ask I just agree with anyone in our church family who's praying right now and asking God you're faithful your word is true so I thank you that as we ask we receive and peace comes. Peace comes. We do not need angst or worry or fear or concern. There is no place for it in my life. Because my life is full of the peace that is found in Christ. Hallelujah. My life is full of the supply that is founded in Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, we love you and thank you for all of your goodness and blessings in our life. We thank you that we're in relationship with you, that you brought peace and supply into our life. God, we love you and give you, all of us, everything that we are tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you again just stand and praise God. Give him a shout of victory tonight. And let him know that we believe the battle has been won. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your night. We'll see you this Sunday for Easter. Be blessed. Be a blessing. Be the light and be the church. Amen.